0: Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. But in the meantime, I would just love to spend my last few minutes with you here in Adelaide uh, speaking as simply as I can about what God is like, how much He loves you, to draw a clear and accurate picture of how he genuinely reaches out to each and every single one of us. Uh, Recently, I was in England, and and I uh, arrived in from Singapore. I came off a long-haul flight, and and, uh, I was a little bit jet-lagged, a little bit tired, and I was doing a, a conference in Brighton. Brighton's about an hour and a half, two hours south of Heathrow Airport, and uh, I was a little bit tired, but, but I was greeted by this just kind and lovely Kenyan man named Israel. And, and the first thing that I noticed about Israel was that he was wearing this amazing pair of like white linen pants. And right away, I just called it out. I said, hey, dude, love your pants. Just th- the way they sit, the way they fit. Like seriously, man, where'd you get those pants from? They're amazing. I can't stop looking or thinking about your pants. He mumbles awkwardly and changes the conversation. I think to myself, oh, that's a little bit strange, but I will press on. I got into the car. We started driving down towards Brighton, and as we were driving along, again, I noticed these amazing white linen pants. I just declared my love again. Hey, seriously, dude, I love your pants. I can't stop looking at your pants. I can't stop thinking about your pants, the way they sit, the way they fit. Right at the end of the meeting, you need to take me out to the exact same place where you got your pants, because I want to get the same pants. We should be pants brothers. Again, Israel mumbled something awkwardly, changed the conversation. He did not want to engage. I thought to myself, wow, this is really strange. We get to the conference. I'm running late. The music is already going. I'm ushered to the front. Before I know it, I'm given a microphone and pushed onto a stage. I'm doing my opening commentary. And again, out of the corner of my eye, I see Israel sitting right there in the front row with his amazing pair of white linen pants on. And I stop the meeting and I say, dude, seriously, man. Israel's pants, I just want everyone to think and just to look at Israel's pants, the way they sit, the way they fit, the way they hug him just right. I love his pants. We should all go out together at the end of this meeting and all find the same pants and wear the same pants here tonight. We should put our hands together for Israel's pants. No one clapped, no one engaged. The whole crowd mumbled awkwardly. I thought to myself, what a group of joyless Englishmen and women. <laughs> I went on with my talk, I did my ministry, I got off the stage and immediately I was greeted by one of the pastors who had pulled together this conference and he came forth with a desire to explain a little something to me. He he came up and said, Hey Dan, you know before when you were talking about Israel's pants and how we didn't really kind of get what you were talking about and how everyone got a little bit awkward around that conversation. The reason is, you see Dan, I've been to Australia. I understand what you're saying when you're talking about pants. Because in England, what you're referring to as pants, we call trousers. But in England, pants... Um, are not trousers, pants, are, are male underwear. So when you were declaring your love for Israel's pants and talking about how you were thinking about his pants and talking about his pants on the drive-in and just looking at the way they sit and the way they fit and the way they hug, we're all wondering collectively, who is this weird perverted freak we are flying all the way from Australia to speak to us for this week? I was so embarrassed. There was a breakdown in communication. Come on, something was lost in translation. So at the start of my second meeting, I began it like this. I'm so sorry, everybody. I think there's been a breakdown in communication. I think something's been lost in translation. I'm really sorry. I think there's been a massive misunderstanding. And the start of this talk tonight, I would like to say the same thing. To many people here in this room, I am so sorry. I think there's been a massive misunderstanding. Because God loves you so much. He not only loves you, He sees every aspect of your life and He smiles and declares that He likes you as well. He's not angry at you. He doesn't keep a a score on all the wrong things that you've done and He isn't waiting for you to do one too many wrong things before He takes you out with one of His lightning bolts. He's not a God who is against your fun. He's not a God who is against your joy. He is not some kind of cosmic person who wants to rain on your parade. I'm so sorry. I think there's been a really big misunderstanding. He's not the universal police officer patrolling our life's streets, waiting for us to step out of order or to break one of His commands so He can enact His wrath. I'm so sorry if you think that about God, there's been a massive misunderstanding. He's not an angry God. He's not an apathetic God. He is so not an absent God. And if you hold this picture or this paradigm of that, I'm so sorry. I think there's been a massive misunderstanding. You see, as I travel and as I engage with people from both within the church and outside of the church, as I talk to young people and not so young people like who come along to to different faith communities as well as meet people as I'm on the road in airport lounges or sitting next to them in in airline seats, as I meet people in my travels, I find time and time again this massive misunderstanding that has gripped people's understandings and has shaped their imaginations regarding God. I've met so many people in this world who don't usually come along to church who think that following Jesus and, and having a relationship with God and, and being a Christian, it's all about restriction. Have you ever heard or felt that before from people who don't usually come along to church? Being a Christian is about being a good person. It's being about a, a, a morally upright person. It's all about the things that you resist doing. It, it's, it's all about not drinking and not smoking and not taking drugs and not dancing, partly because you can't and partly because it's evil. And, 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 and if you don't do all of these things, you're one of those goody two-shoe Christian kind of people, aren't you? You're pro this and you're anti that. And, and for so many people in this world and even some people just checking out God and faith and Christianity tonight, The whole idea of following Jesus is just about restriction. And to you, I like to say, I'm so sorry. I think there's just been a really big misunderstanding. And for even people within the church, there's been a massive misunderstanding. For so many people, even within the house of God, who may sing about grace amazing, who may hear talks about love and mercy, they may hold a theology of the kindness and the graciousness of God, but they live out. A life marked by pressure and fear, shame and guilt. For so many people, even within the church, to them, following Jesus is all about the regulations, all the things that I must do. Uh, I need to read my Bible and pray every day if I want to grow, if I want to grow. And and I have to come to to church as many times as I can throughout the week. And when I'm at church, during the fast songs, I need to jump up high because the higher I jump, the closer I am to God. And during the slow songs, I have to look really sad and constipated because the sadder I look, the happier God is. And during the preaching, I have to stand up and point my Bible or say, amen. Uh, I have to do all of these things because if I do all of these things, then I feel at peace with God, like heaven smiles upon me. but the moment that I fall short, the moment I expose my frailty, my fragmentation, my foolishness, then I feel like I'm a million miles away. And for so many people, even within the church, Christianity doesn't set you free. It's a chore. Following God is a bore. God doesn't want that anymore. I just rapped. And to you, I'd like to say, I'm so sorry. I just think there's been a really big misunderstanding. For those here tonight who just find it really hard to smile when it comes to thinking about Jesus and pondering what it means to be a part of the house of God. For those here tonight who always feel like they're walking a tightrope and and at a moment's notice, they can fall one way or the other. I'm saying to you, I'm really sorry. It wasn't meant to be like that. I think there's been a really big misunderstanding. Now, on the surface, someone would say to me, so what's the big deal, Dan? It's a misunderstanding. It's someone who interprets something some way and someone who interprets another thing another way. It's semantics. What's the big deal? And I would say to you, on the surface, I would agree, it wouldn't be a big deal if this misunderstanding didn't create dysfunction in our journey. But I would actually propose to you that this misunderstanding creates the greatest dysfunction in all of our journeys, whether we're far away from God, walking towards Him, already walking with Jesus, trying to stay close to Him. This misunderstanding creates incredible dysfunction. This misunderstanding that God is some kind of moral policeman who lives in the sky creates an incredible barrier between a broken world and a loving God. I know as I try to share with my family and my friends and my mates at the gym and at the golf course about checking Jesus out, the walls always go up instantaneously because instantly they think it's just about getting into relationship with a God who was unpleasable. And if I was to get into a relationship with Him, it'd be about Him robbing me of all the joy in my life. This misunderstanding, come on, creates a barrier between a broken world and a God who loves this broken world. We have to deal with this misunderstanding. And this misunderstanding for those within the church actually creates a burden. Even though we sing about amazing grace, even though we preach and we teach about the kindness and the mercy of God, when we live out a practical life marked by legalism and works, Christianity becomes a burden, a heavy backpack that is ill-fitting, that you cannot remove for fear of what will happen if it is removed. But the longer you walk with it on your back, the more life that drains out of your being and you walk around wearing the t-shirt marked by freedom, but you never ever sense freedom enveloping your heart. For those within the church who are bound up and wound up and being ground up by this misunderstanding, it creates an incredible burden. So I would say to you, this is no small issue. This is no minute matter. This is of utmost importance that we deal with this massive misunderstanding. Because this, mis- this massive misunderstanding creates barriers between a broken world and a loving God and burdens on those within the house trying to walk out their life with Jesus. So I've been wondering, I wonder how Jesus would deal with these burdens and these barriers and these barriers and these burdens. Like in every other area of my life when I find myself perplexed, when I find myself confused about where to from here, I turn to the scriptures and I, I, thumb, my, uh, I just thumb through the, the, especially the pages of the gospels and I try to find different situations or circumstances that kind of parallel what I'm observing in the moment. So what I did is I went through the Gospels and I tried to find a time when Jesus was confronted with a whole bunch of different people from different backgrounds, all marked by this grand misunderstanding. People marked by barriers and burdens and burdens and barriers. And then I came across one of my most favourite passages in all of Holy Writ. I have preached about this, I've taught about it, I've meditated upon this passage for many years, but I had never seen this aspect before. The passage is found in Luke chapter 15. For those who have been around church for a while, you recognize Luke chapter 15 as the the chapter where Jesus talks about lost items, like a lost sheep and a lost coin uh, and a couple of lost kids. But what I never noticed before is the context in which Jesus was telling these stories. Jesus told these stories in response to a massive misunderstanding that He witnessed personally. See, the Bible says in Luke chapter 15, in verse one, the Bible says that Jesus was hanging out with a bunch of sinners and tax collectors, weird and wonderful people, the broken, the busted, the down, the dejected, those who had hurt people in the past, those who had been hurt by people in the past, the lost, the last, the least, Jesus found himself partying with them. For some of you here in this room who thinks that Jesus is like some kind of, you know, conservative, goody two-shoes, who's afraid of parties, I'm sorry, nothing could be further from the truth. Because you read through the Gospels, you find time and time again, wherever there was a house party, Jesus would invite himself to it. Wherever Jesus was, a party would break out. Because how can you not bring about the party when you don't just bring life, you are pure life. So Jesus is hanging out and there's a party going on. And these weird and these wonderful people all scratching their collective heads. Why is he hanging out with us? This radical rabbi, this kind of hot teacher of the month, this person that is so popular around town, why is he taking the time to eat with us, to drink with us and to teach us? They were perplexed. But Jesus is not drawn to our beauty. No, Jesus is drawn to our brokenness because He is the pure embodiment of love. He found himself right there in the midst of that party. So the food is being served. The wine is flowing. There's a couple of Korean kids in the corner doing Gangnam style. It's an amazing party. Everyone's having a good time. And then the Bible says in verse 2, into that party come a group of religious leaders and teachers of the law. The Pharisees, the ones who were the keeper of religious right, And they walked into this party and they made a few observations. The Bible says they began to murmur to one another, who is this Jesus guy? And why is he hanging out with these kinds of people? Code for, if he really was a rabbi, if he really was a teacher of the law, he would be hanging out with us and pontificating about the nuances of Mosaic law. Why is he hanging out here, trying to make the heart of God clear to people who are obviously not worthy of this conversation? If he really was a rabbi, he would know what that woman does for a living. He would know that she sells her body for a living and she should be condemned, not conversed with. If he really was the prophet that everyone is talking him up as, He would know that that man is a tax collector, a traitor, a charlatan, and a thief. He should be shunned, he should not be showed love. And so here Jesus is, he's hanging at a party and he finds himself in the midst of the most fascinating scene. On one hand, there are all these broken people who had fallen short time and time again who had been conditioned to think for so many years that the perfect God of this universe would have nothing to do with them because of the brokenness in their life. And this mentality had created a barrier between themselves and a loving God. At the same time, on the other side of the room, there were all these Pharisees, religious leaders, teachers of the law, thinking they were so close from God, but in their arrogance, they were so far from God. Thinking that they were expounding freedom the whole time, just sharing around this uncarryable burden of legalism. So Jesus is here at a party. Everyone is trapped in this massive misunderstanding, barriers and burdens, burdens and barriers. And then Jesus responds. And he tells three stories with one purpose, to clear up this massive misunderstanding. Understanding. So he sits everybody down because he loves everybody in that room. The rebel and the religious, the religious and the rebel. Everybody sit down. I'm really sorry. I think there's been a massive misunderstanding. And this misunderstanding is creating barriers between you and a loving God. And it's, and it's a burden for you guys, and it's ruining your lives. And because you guys don't know any better, you're ruining many lives in the process. So everyone just needs to sit down as I clear up this massive misunderstanding. And so there's no question, doubt, or debate from this point on. I'm gonna tell the same story basically three times so we make it clear I want to deal with this massive misunderstanding. So everybody sit down. Yeah, everyone sit down, seriously. Yeah, the rebel, the religious. Everyone just mingle. Everyone, okay, cool. Grab some food. You can chew on some food while I'm talking. That's cool. Everyone, says, hey, Korean kids, stop dancing. Everybody sit down, right? I'm clearing up the misunderstanding. So Jesus just tells some stories. He says, hey, guys, just imagine you're a shepherd. And uh, you came home from a long day of work and you did a head count, 97, 98, 99, and you found that one of your sheep were missing. Wouldn't you, because you were a shepherd and shepherds just look after sheep, that is your role, that is your nature, that is your call and your commission. If you were a shepherd and you found that one of your sheep were missing, wouldn't you leave the 99 safe ones to go all the way out to find that one lost one? Of course you would. And you would search high and low, far and wide. And when you found that one sheep, you'd be super-duper pumped. Why? Because shepherds just look for sheep but they get lost. You would pick up that sheep because most likely it would be too exhausted to walk its own way home. You would pick up that sheep, you would place it on your shoulders, and you would carry it all the way home. And when you got home, you'd be so excited, you would call your friends and your neighbours over and say, come and celebrate with me. My sheep was lost, and now it's found. I want to tell you the truth. Or in other words, I want to make it abundantly clear. There is more celebration in God's heart over one of these people who you sneer at. Coming back to Him than over 99 people or a room full of individuals on a Sunday night praising and worshipping Him. It's not that He doesn't love praise and worship It's just that nothing warms the cockles of God's heart like one made in his image coming back into relationship with the one whose image they were made in. And seriously, just imagine you're a woman. You were a girl and you kind of came home and you wanted to have a look at a really, really important piece of jewelry to you. And you open up your jewellery box and you found, lo and behold, that piece of jewellery was missing. Wouldn't you just freak out? Oh my goodness. And wouldn't you just like turn your bedroom upside down until you found it? And when you found this important piece of jewellery, Wouldn't your first initial reaction be to take an Instagram selfie of yourself finding that piece of jewellery? Because that's what it feels like all girls do nowadays. Oh my goodness, hashtag found it. And I kind of, so wouldn't you, after you took this picture of yourself with your found jewellery, just call your friends and your neighbours and say, seriously, man, I was freaking out. I lost this piece of jewelry I had misplaced this coin but I searched hard I looked in every nook I looked at looked in every cranny and I found it I am so excited I want everybody to know and just imagine you're like a parent like a mom or a dad and you had a couple of kids and and your younger kid comes to you and says you know what dad you know what mom I think that I could do life by myself a little bit better Under my own steam than under your roof. So can you give me my share of the estate? Because I know that I've got an inheritance coming. I want to do it alone. And because you love your child and understand they're of age and they have to at some point start making decisions for themselves. And for you to force them to stay in the house would not be love, it would be called kidnap. You had to let that kid go. So you split up your share of the estate, you try to set your kid up, you sent him off to do his own thing and he bought a Jetstar ticket straight to Bali and off he goes to that place where all the other sunburnt Australians gather and he's hanging out with just, just, just the party crowd and before he knows it he spends all of his money he finds himself homeless destitute on the street and the whole time your heart would be breaking because that's what happens when your kid runs away from home But just imagine that kid came to his senses and he said, you know what? My my, my dad's servants back at home have more than I have right now. And I know that I'm not allowed to be one of his kids anymore because I have forfeited that right. But if I go home and ask to maybe work for my dad, I could find myself in a better position than I am in right now. And so he uses his return Jetstar ticket to come back home. But then you hear he's in town. And while he was still a long way off, you met him wherever he was and you ran towards him. And even though he deserved to be kicked in the head, no, at the end of that run, you grabbed him and kissed him on the neck. And then you carried him all the way home and you noticed that he had sold everything that he had owned. He was barefoot. He had no bling. He had to even, he had to even give away his coat just trying to exchange it for some food at some point. You would reclothe him. You would redress him. You would restore him because that's what parents do. And even if the other kid got really angry at you and stormed out of the house and said, it's not fair. I've been with you since the beginning and you haven't even given me and my friends like a little goat to have a party. You would go out into the darkness and try to find that kid as well because parents just want both of their kids to be back in the house. I'm telling you this story because I'm trying to make it really clear that God has a heart. For people who are far away from him, whether they're a rebel or a religious person, a religious person or a rebel, I'm just trying to clear up a misunderstanding. My last few minutes with you here, I just want to drill down into a few of these stories and just highlight a few points that Jesus was trying to make in clearing up this misunderstanding. Understanding, And my heart's hope and my heart's prayer is this, that no matter who you are or where you're at or what you've been through in the last couple of days, weeks or months, irrespective of your picture, your paradigm or your perception of God, that through the next few minutes, not my voice, but the Holy Spirit Himself, God manifests here on this earth, He would be whispering in your ear and tapping you lovingly, come on, on your shoulder and letting you know what he's really like as he clears up a really big misunderstanding. What was Jesus doing in telling these three stories? The first thing he was trying to do was he was trying to clear up the misunderstanding about the nature of God. So many think that he is an absent God. He created the heavens and the earth, flung stars into space, set the earth into motion and then disappeared. He watches maybe from afar every now and then, but he really has no interaction with humanity. Some people see him as an absent God. Some see him as an angry God, sitting on a cloud somewhere with a furrowed brow and an angry look in his eye and a lightning bolt in his hand, ready to take you out the moment you break one of his commands. He's one of those angry gods who brings about calamity on those Fall short of his glory. Some people think that he is an apathetic God, he watches closely, but he doesn't care. We go through life, we struggle through life, we feel burden, we feel pain, we're marked by shame, our souls are tattered with stains, and he just doesn't intervene. Some people think he's an apathetic God, and in an instant, Jesus clears up the misunderstanding no, 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 no. Just like shepherds look for their sheep and just like ladies look for things that are precious to them and just like parents have their hearts broken until their kids come home, the God of this universe longs for nothing more than you. That's His nature. It's just who He is. For God, love is not an act of the will. For God, Love is an extension of His character. Just like shepherds instinctively will search for a sheep that was wayward. Just like a girl would search for something that is precious to her heart. Just like a parent would be restless until their kids return. So God reaches out to humanity, no matter who they are, no matter where they're at, no matter what they've done, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Why? It's just His nature. It's just who He is. If you walk out of this place with nothing else, I hope and pray you walk away with this. God loves you, not because you are necessarily lovely, even though you are all very lovely, well-presented people. He doesn't love us because of our loveliness. He loves us because that's just His nature. It's who He is. Smile, that's really good news. The reason I yell, the reason I rant, the reason I rave, and the reason I find myself smiling more than any normal person is because I understand how broken I am. I understand the faltered, frail, fragmented fool, and a whole bunch of f words that I am. But yet He still woos me. He still whispers to me. He still reminds me I'm loved. Not because I'm lovely. But because that's just who He is. Shepherds search for sheep. Ladies look for precious things that are lost. Parents ache until their kids return. And God reaches out to rebels and religious people just because that's who He is. And not only is He love, He's the one who does the searching. He's the one who does the reaching. Since the beginning of time, humanity has been entranced by the great and grand God question. How do we get to know him? Does he want to get to know us? So if you study history, stare down the annals of time, dabble in archaeology, you will see that as a humanity, we are knit together by this common thread. We have always wondered about God. We have formulated religions. We have hypothesized, theorized, philosophized. We've done it since the beginning of time. Black people, white people, yellow people, warm honey brown people like Pastor Tony over here. We've all asked questions about God, why? Because we were created to connect. So Augustine was right when he said, therefore the human soul is a restless one indeed until it finds its rest in God. So we've tried to search for God since the beginning of time and it's interesting how every other religion basically is the same. Connecting with God is all about our search for Him. And then Jesus comes along, flips the script and changes the game and introduces some very good news. Christianity is not about man's pursuit of God, Christianity is all about God's wild pursuit of man. Because that's what Jesus is trying to clear up in these stories. Who searches for the sheep? The shepherd. Who looks for the precious coin? The girl, who accepts the children back into the house and makes a way for them to start again? The parents. Who does the searching? Who does the work? Not you, him. Smile, that's really good news. Because that's counterintuitive. I think I've shared this before, but I wouldn't do that. If I was a shepherd and I came home from a long day of work and did a head count 97, 98, 99, and found that one of my sheep was missing. I wouldn't be that concerned because 99 out of 100 ain't a bad effort. 99% is going to get you a long way in life. And even if I lost one sheep, it's only one out of 100. I can just write that one off on tax or claim that one sheep on insurance. Here's an opportunity for me. I can trade out one dumb sheep for one smart sheep because the sheep that I lost wasn't the sharpest sheep in the flock because how do you get lost? You're hanging out with 99 of your brothers in an open field. You're not wandering around Kmart at night. And when I eventually found you, I definitely wouldn't pick you up and carry you all the way home, no way. If I came into the darkness to come and find you, I would kick you in the stomach and then ride you all the way home. (laughs) Make me come into the darkness to find you. But Jesus clears up the misunderstanding. He makes it clear. It's not you who does the searching because the sheep can't get home. The coin definitely can't find itself. And those kids are definitely not allowed back in the house But as the shepherd searches and that lady turns her house upside down and those parents display amazing grace, I want you to know it's God who does the searching. Some of you are here tonight, just thinking, oh, I'm just going to come and check out church. I had a friend who invited me along. I heard there was a Chinese guy with remarkably good English. And you think, oh, I'm checking him out. I'm doing a little bit of a search. I'm so sorry. I'm pumped that you're here looking for God, but I gotta let you know, he's been looking for you a lot longer. You may have driven like kind of 10-15 minutes to get here to Peruka. Sounds like Peruka? I don't know. I feel like I'm in like a New Zealand town somewhere here. But you gotta understand. Come on, Jesus came a much further distance to search for you. That's the reason in but a few days we are going to carve up a turkey and sing Christmas carols with a whole bunch of strange English words we don't use in our vocabulary anymore. Why? Not just so that we can stuff ourselves full of calories, not just so that we can eat chocolate on every day of that Advent calendar. No, we celebrate Christmas because it's God coming after us. Emmanuel, God with us, the one who came near, stayed near, is here, and is still searching for humanity. That's the reason right after Christmas is done, get what gets wheeled out? Hot cross buns. In a couple of months, we're going to celebrate Easter. And it's not just about Easter eggs or bunnies. We celebrate a wooden cross and an empty tomb because... That is the extent that our God, come on, would come after us. He would come into this earth, live a perfect life, die an unjust death, overcome sin and death, live again today so He can grab hold of every single broken person, both rebellious and religious, both religious and rebellious here on planet earth. The good news is not about our pursuit of God. The good news is all about God's pursuit of you. Jesus makes it abundantly clear. I just want to clear up that misunderstanding. And the third and my last point is, Jesus is trying to also let you know, I want to clear up a misunderstanding. You mean so much to me. You're so precious to me. Some of you are growing up in a world right now where no one speaks a positive word over your existence The Bible makes it clear that God, every single night that you sleep, sings over you with a heart full of love. You're important to Him. Therefore, there is nothing more precious to Him than your return. I just wanna clear up that misunderstanding because that's what He says. A couple of kids, I just want them back in my house. There's a random fat cow hanging around the backyard. We're going to kill that cow. We're having a barbecue. There is a massive celebration. My son was lost and now he's found. This woman who finds the coin calls all of her friends and all of her neighbours. Oh my goodness, I lost this coin. I find, oh my. And so she was pumped. This shepherd, you got to think about it. Finds the sheep, comes home. Again, I'm not carrying that sheep home. I've kicked it in the stomach. I've ridden all the way home. When I eventually get home, I'm not throwing a party for the sheep. I'm killing the sheep and cooking the sheep to show all the other sheep what happens if you get lost. (laughs) But God, through His Son Jesus, clears up a misunderstanding. He says, no. The shepherd brings the sheep all the way home, calls the friends and neighbours over and says, come and celebrate with me. My sheep was lost and now it's found. Could you imagine hanging out at your house at night? 10 o'clock, dunk, 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 dunk. someone knocks at your door. You open up the door, it's your neighbour. come on over. Seriously, we've got a party right now. It's an amazing party. We just, we just started the party. Oh, what's the party for? For my sheep. Lost the sheep, found the sheep now. It's a party and it's a sheep party. Because you're always down for a sheep party. All right, all right, let's go. So you get dressed and you go over next door and sure enough, it's a sheep party. The food is being served. The wine is flowing. The Korean kids are back. They're doing Gundam style in the corner. And there's a sheep sitting there looking really confused with a party hat on his head and a blower kind of... What a strange picture. But Jesus draws it. And then He goes further and says, I tell you the truth. Or in other words, no more discussion, no more debate, no more doubt. There is more celebration in heaven over one of these people coming back into relationship with the loving God of this universe than over anything else in this world. God loves praise. God loves worship. God loves it when the church comes together and celebrates His name. But all of that is subordinate to that which is primary in His heart. The created coming back into relationship with the Creator. Those with an eternal soul coming back into friendship with the King of Eternity. Nothing causes greater celebration in heaven. Smile, that's good news. Nothing means as much to God as your return. Crazy, I know. Because some of you kind of go and really me, yes, you. But, but Dan, I've made so many mistakes. Cool, I bet you I've made more mistakes than you. Yeah, you. But Dan, I've crossed lines that I can never cross back over again. That's cool. Jesus didn't come to set up more lines to make it hard for you to get into heaven. Jesus came to make it easy for you to get it. Go on, yes, you. More celebration in heaven. Get your mind around that because heaven is a noisy place. Yeah. Do you know that? A lot of you guys think that heaven is like a quiet, peaceful place where we sit for eternity, like on a cloud, just hanging out with angels. And the angels are like flying around everywhere and they're like little chubby baby angels with wings, but, but grown up man faces. <laughs> that's not heaven, that's hell. <laughs> Could you imagine? Like forever, all you're doing is sitting on a cloud, watching little chubby baby angels flying around with like kind of grown up man, craggly nose faces. Ah, No, that's not heaven. The Bible tells us that heaven has streets paved with gold. Gold is a symbol of purity. Everything is just right. Our tears have been wiped away, meaning there's no more sorrow. There's no more shame. There's no more brokenness. There's only completeness and fullness. The Bible tells us that there is a golf course on every single corner. Your drives never ever slice right. Donuts make you skinny. I don't know, okay, I made that up. That's not in the Bible. But this is, the Bible tells us that the Bible, that the that heaven is full with a multitude of angels numbering thousands times ten thousands, literally millions of angels in heaven and all of them have the sound of rushing waters emanating from their mouths, meaning they all have really loud voices. And they're not all freestyling and doing their own things. Now all of these angels are singing together in one accord all at the same time. Worthy is the Lamb, holy is He. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Come on, they're praising and they're adoring Jesus. If you don't like loud church, you're going to hate heaven because heaven is a loud place because there is celebration and adoration of the King of glory. But listen to this, even that gets drowned out every time. One lost person comes home. I'm not making it up. Jesus said it. More celebration in heaven over one lost person coming home. So you've got to picture it. Worthy is the Lamb. Holy is He. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And someone here tonight turns their heart towards Jesus and trusts their life into His hands. And boom! The party kicks up another gear every time one lost person comes home. Smile, that's really good news. I'm just trying to clear up a massive misunderstanding. You're loved, not because of the loveliness that we can generate, but because of the pure embodiment of love that God is. You're searched for. It's not about you doing enough to get your way to God, your effort, your energy, your endeavor, your purity or your piety. No, it is God's goodness that draws him towards you. And nothing means as much to him as your return, greater celebration over one rebel who lifts up their eyes and sees that there wasn't meant to be a barrier between themselves and God. But God did everything required through His Son. Jesus is now reaching out by His Spirit to bridge that barrier. Every time one Person wrapped up in the cords of religiosity bows their knee and recognizes it's not their holiness that wins God's favor. Their worst couldn't scare God off just as their best couldn't win His love. It's about recognizing our need of His grace amazing. Greater celebration over one lost. Person coming home I'm just trying to clear up a misunderstanding as I wrap up my time here tonight I'd just like to do one thing I think this is done in every single meeting here at Victory Church because this church exists for one reason and one reason alone to connect you with a God who loves you more than you will ever know And in that is true victory. And I would love that opportunity to maybe pray with and for someone here in this room who came in through these doors, either feeling a barrier between themselves and God because of the brokenness in their life and the mistakes that they have made, or some people who walked through these doors encumbered by the weight of religiosity, the burden of legalism. And for both of you alike, The answer is simple. The path is clear. Come to Jesus. The one who loves you. The one who searches for you. And the one who waits with bated breath for your return. Because nothing means as much to God than you.